Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Murder on the Space Coast, where is Brandy Hall? The officer that saw the fire supervisor's vehicle at the Hess station, she did what she was supposed to do. She went in, she turned in a tip sheet. I talked with the sergeant who had a broken arm at that time and had been assigned to take the tip sheets. He remembers writing that tip sheet down. I never left the station. Why are you guys, why are you still pointing the barrel at me like, like you just said? Well, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there who said, well, you were the he, last he's person the one that had to had do it because him and her had the affair. I'll, I'll I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast, Where is Brandy Hall? Eight episodes in, and the police have ruled out drug violence as a theory to why 32-year-old Brandy Hall, a firefighter and mother of two, went missing on August 17, 2006. They have also cleared her husband, Jeff Hall, of any wrongdoing. Brandy's lover, married Palm Bay Fire Captain Randall Richmond, told police that Brandy said she was waiting for someone to bring her some money and that she was planning to leave town. But this was only after he originally told police that he had not spoken with Brandy at all during the weeks leading up to her disappearance. But there is still no body, still no breakthrough evidence, and police are stuck. Weeks go by, and then months. And then something really weird happens. Yes, weird even for this case. About a year after Brandy went missing, on June 24, 2007, several teenagers in Vero Beach, which is about 30 miles south of Malabar on Florida's east coast, were out near one of the area's numerous canals when they spotted something in the water. They pulled in what was a camouflaged backpack. When they looked inside, they found a few items of clothing several small steel squares, a few pornographic DVDs, and a tube of erection cream. There was also an address book. The name on it? Brandy Hall. They called police, but no one came. Later that day, one of the teens looked up Brandy Hall on his computer and saw that she had been missing for nearly a year. He called police again, and this time... They responded. The interesting thing about this is that the ink in the address book had not smeared completely, meaning, according to police, that the bag had not been in the water the entire time. This was the bag that Brandy kept her medications in, and someone had just recently disposed of it. Retired Palm Bay Detective Ernie Diebel was in charge of the case when the backpack was found. Here he is. Several detectives and plus FDLE all went down there and talked to the people who um, recovered it and talked to the people who managed it. It was in one of the canals. It's one of the, like a lock, 
kind of like a little dam, okay? And it was hung up on the dam. Um, the person who manages that area said that shortly after Brandy went missing in 2006, there was a hurricane, Ernesto, was coming to the area. So they drained the canals in preparation of a lot of rainfall so they wouldn't have flooding. So he feels like that backpack had was not there when that happened because it would have been found or then. Um, so like I said, this is a year later and there were several items of hers in there. So I mean, that's how we know her, her wallet, videos, um, and there was a couple metal parts in there, um, pieces of metal that had been cut. Um, she did a lot of welding shit in the shops. I don't know where, if it came from her shop or what, but there's a couple larger pieces of metal in her backpack, which probably shouldn't have been there. No one knows why they should have been there. The only thing I could think of is that somebody put those in there to weigh it down. The backpack is, to me, the, the, one of the most interesting parts in this. It's camouflage, it's like a, a hunting backpack. The thing that's kind of strange is that she usually kept her prescription medicine and a firearm in this. Hmm. Um, neither of those were ever found. Uh, plus, she had a radio from the Malabar Fire Department that also was never found. It wasn't in her backpack, it wasn't in, on the scene, it wasn't in her truck. So it's kind of strange, where's her prescriptions? Why wasn't this in the truck? You know, did she go to somebody and meet somebody and leave it someplace and they then got rid of it later? You know, it doesn't make any sense why, again, this is someplace else and still we don't know where her body is. That's very curious. And why would somebody weigh it, weigh, you know, just weigh this down and try to get rid of it? Detective Mike Pusatier is still at a loss at how and why the backpack wound up there. We couldn't explain how it got there because there was no cameras around there. It was a kind of rural area. In fact, the canal ran um, parallel to an orange grove right behind it. And the metal plates in there, was that to make it sink, do you think? So that Probably. Would find it? Probably to make it, to weigh it down. I mean, because there's no other purpose for them to be in there. But then detectives had to try and figure out what finding the backpack means and how it fits into any of their working theories as to what happened to Brandy. But as has been the frustrating norm in this case, the find really just created more questions. Either if you take a theory that Brandy disappeared on her own, well, she's got this personal property here, I have to get rid of it. But why? There, there's nobody that would be looking for it, you know, if she took it with her. Um, if somebody had it on them that indicated their guilt, but when you go through the backpack, there's really nothing in there that would indicate guilt on anybody. So you, those are questions that are unanswered at this point. Okay, so to help you understand the timing of all this, the interviews we have heard with Randall Richmond took place about five months after the backpack was found. Here is then Florida Department of Law Enforcement resident agent in charge, Wayne Ivey, before he became sheriff, along with Tom Davis, asking Randall about the backpack, and in particular, one of the items found. We now have the backpack that was found down in Indian River County. Okay. We've got the cellular telephone companies working with us, triangulating all of everybody's telephone records. Mm-hmm. We've, got, we've got a number of things that are coming to the table now. DNA, the backpack, and everything else is being tested for DNA because being submerged in water doesn't, doesn't do it, doesn't get rid of it. 
Okay. So there's there's a lot of things, um, even even down to DNA that's being taken off of some uh, Mandalay erection cream that was found in the backpack. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's, there's are we gonna things. find your DNA in that backpack? And for what reason, Randall? I honestly don't believe you're Did you ever touch my DNA in that backpack. Why not? Did you ever touch it? Did you around it? Did you her? I mean, what, what would explain it if we found your DNA? Touch DNA, we call it something you'd previously maybe touched. It was in that backpack. I don't ever remember touching. Any, you know what any, backpack? You, you're, you're, no, I don't know what backpack you're talking about. I mean, she had two or three of them, with their, you know, where each one had different things in it. Some had clothes, some had this, some had business stuff, you know. But so there's no reason why your DNA should be in anything that that was in there. That erection cream, anything like that. No, my DNA should not be in any erection cream. Okay. The affair her and I had were was years before. So right there is another troubling story told by Randall. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, Randall would later admit during an interview with retired detectives Sid Liddow and Doc Jones that he and Brandy had sex more than the one time he admitted to. He previously suggested the one-and-done affair ended a long time before Brandy disappeared. But he would tell Sid and Doc that it was an ongoing affair. Now, that recording I have him playing is the last official interview Randall Richmond has given police. They have asked him numerous times to come back in and talk, but he has refused. He also refuses to take the polygraph examination. More time passes... And believe it or not, nearly a year after the backpack is found, 30 miles south of where Brandy's truck was discovered, someone else finds her fire helmet in the water in Indian Harbor Beach, just a few miles north of Malabar. The helmet, from Brandy's days as a volunteer for the Hollapaw Fire Department in Osceola County, was found floating at a marina near Mathers Bridge, a popular spot for anglers. This marked the third different body of water where things belonging to Brandy Hall were found since she vanished nearly two years earlier. Strange. Really strange. Eventually, detectives ruled out any connection between the helmet and Brandy's disappearance. According to husband Jeff Hall, the helmet was kept at their West Melbourne welding shop and was used by their kids to play. Again, here is Detective Mike Pusatier. That one is just one of those crazy things that pop up. Yeah. It, I don't think it had anything to do with their disappearance because it would not have been in her truck. It was not part of her Malabar volunteer fire gear. It was an old helmet that her kids would play with. I, I believe it was probably stolen or taken from what looked like trash, essentially, behind their, the business. And somebody discarded it and it ended up there. Still, I have a hard time accepting that it is just some freaky coincidence like the police say. I feel like these items are being planted to lure police in one direction or the other. Another thought I had was that the killer is just taunting the police by leaving clues. Again, just my own thoughts about it. So the years continue to pass, and the police ask retired detectives Sid Liddow and Doc Jones to take a look at everything, 
hoping their experience, as well as a fresh set of eyes on the case, might yield something. Now, it was around this time, and only at this time, years after Brandy has gone missing, that something I mentioned in an earlier episode is brought to light, and there is no way to know the impact this could have had if it had been discovered earlier. Remember Palm Bay officer Jasmine Campbell driving around on patrol the night Brandy goes missing? To refresh your memory, she sees a Palm Bay fire captain's vehicle at the Hess station on Malabar Road, and then moments later she sees Brandy's truck parked. Remember, Brandy's truck was easy to identify with its large tires and other features. The bad luck story is worth hearing in its entirety. So here is Sid Liddell. You'll also hear a clip in here from Detective Mike Pusatier. A couple of minutes later, along came a Palm Bay police officer and saw that vehicle there and wondering what, was, what it was doing there. She got out, looked around. She said, well, I guess some firefighter is uh, out there checking something. She got back in her vehicle and drove around to the back of the place, and she saw over there at Home Depot, but where they sell trees and stuff, she saw a big pickup truck. So she went down there. She could tell as she neared it and turned her light on high. The driver was a, a lady and long blonde hair, and there was another person in the front seat with her. She drove around to the back, was going to call in the tag, but the radio was just constant going, and she didn't want to get in something like that, so she said, oh, well, you know, it, it, hopefully it's nothing. So she went on down, and we've got her on camera about, I, I can't remember the time, 12.30 or so, um, where she passed by Walmart. There was an officer that had a foot pursuit, and so there was emergency traffic only on the radio, so she couldn't get on the radio. She was actually going off duty, so she's like, well, you know what, there's a fire captain's truck there, so it's probably nothing, and went home. And then when she saw, heard about the missing person, she did report it, so. Well, we had some bad breaks in that. The officer that saw the fire supervisor's vehicle at the Hess station, very, she did what she was supposed to do. She went in, she turned in a tip sheet. I talked with the sergeant who had a broken arm at that time and had been assigned to take the tip sheets. He remembers writing that tip sheet down. We didn't know about that for five years. We did not know about it. The tip sheet got lost. And the only way we found out about it was Sergeant Pusateri was riding with that officer one day, and she asked, what did you ever do with my tip sheet? And he had no idea what she was talking about. Unreal. If you've listened to season two of Murder on the Space Coast, you'd know that a similar tip crucial to solving the murder of James Dvorak was ignored or lost for 28 years while the wrong man, William Dillon, languished in prison. Now, here we are again. Now we have eyewitness evidence that a fire captain's vehicle was seen outside the fire station. There were only two fire captains on that evening, Jim Bliss and Randall Richmond. Remember, Randall insisted that he did not leave the station that night and his crew vouched for him. After all, they would have heard the bay doors open and the loud diesel engine of the captain's vehicle start up. Again, here is Mike Pusateri. One of the difficulties with, with 
quite honestly, with Randall Richmond is moving past him because we have what sounds like credible evidence that he was at the fire department, but then when you talk to the firefighters, it's possible he had left. You have an officer who saw a fire captain truck parked at a gas station near where her truck was seen. There's only two fire captains on duty that night, and one of them was alibied for sure by his people, and, and Randall wasn't necessarily completely alibied by his people. So that's hard to get past. And there was no video in those parking lots at that time that can say yes or no. It was Detectives Jones and Ladau who discovered something about the fire captain vehicles available that night. It was this bit of information that made Randall someone to look at even closer as far as Sid Ladau was concerned. He had long believed that Randall not only spoke to Brandy that night, but also went out to meet with her. But he could not get past the fact that firefighters would have heard Randall leaving in the diesel truck and the loud doors opening. The other one was the vehicle. I stalled out for several years. How could he have got that thing out of there, this vehicle, out of that building without waking everybody up? And then I was talking with another firefighter uh, who said, well, that's easy. He didn't take that one. He took the spare in the back. They had a spare back there. Spare, I, I don't know how many supervisors there were at that time, but that was a spare vehicle. And that's what he used. And it was, it's a gasoline engine. It didn't make any noise, and he purred right out. That's the kind of information, along with the missing or lost tip, that could have helped solve this case a long time ago. And that's something that infuriates Brandy's husband, Jeff Hall, who has long been critical of the investigation and the police in this case. He has even written letters to the governor asking for the state to intervene in the investigation. You know, it's just like, come on. I mean, it, something's not right. You know, that's a big lead. I mean, you see a car that the woman's missing an hour before they go off the grid or half an hour right here by the area. Jeff also doesn't understand why more of the attention over the years hasn't been focused on Randall and his refusal to cooperate fully. Jeff says that his own refusal to speak to police early on was only due to the insistence of his lawyers appealing the drug case. But Randall, Jeff says, has no excuse. When I see people always blasting people for not talking to cops, yeah, I'm both sides of the story, because I was wanting to talk to the cops, but my attorneys wouldn't let me talk to the cops, and I understand the reasoning for that. And um, so, but still, I mean, if he's as innocent as he says he is, there is no reason why he can't tell the truth. I mean... If, if she was literally, if she left and went somewhere, he just has to say that instead of lying. Why lie about it? Because his, obviously his hands are clean. I mean, if your hands are clean, why lie? I mean, if, if she truly left, then I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I mean, I can't really see, you know, it was hard for me to imagine that he would do something bad to her because they liked each other so much. But, you know, you find out things as time goes on. And... Um, I don't know, I'm just, I, and I'm just upset, you know, from the get-go with uh, the way her case has been handled. Now, all these years later, the police, with the help of Sid Ledow and Doc Jones really scrutinizing every bit of information available from the night Brandy went missing, found out another interesting little fact. Randall 
had a portable pack set radio that allowed him to listen to radio traffic needed as a first responder. Well, it appears that Randall turned on his portable radio at 12.30 in the morning. Now, according to Sid's investigation, a retired Palm Bay fire captain had hot-wired a radio in the fire captain's room years earlier. The radio scanned all the police and fire channels. Randall told investigators that he turned on his pack set to see what was going on in the city. But if he never left the fire station that night, there would be no reason to. Brandy had a radio as well, and it has never been recovered. So five years after Brandy goes missing, Detective Ernie Diebel, while he was still active, holds a press conference promising a new, fresh look into the case. He also, for the first time, I believe, mentions that police want to speak with Randall Richmond and his wife, Anne-Marie. Remember, a little bit earlier, I mentioned that Randall refused to answer any more questions after that Florida Department of Law Enforcement Agency interview with Wayne Ivey and Tom Davis. But news reporters knocked on his door after the press conference, and he opened the door and spoke for a few moments. The following audio is courtesy of my buddy Mike DeForest over at News 6 WKMG-TV Orlando. Here is Randall responding to the news that the police want to speak with him and Anne-Marie once more. Neither one of us were anywhere around. Neither one of us had anything to do with it. Um, they've said that. I don't know why they can't rule us out. I really don't. Um, neither one of us were anywhere around. Neither one of us had anything to do with it. Then someone asks Randall where he thinks Brandy might be. Sometimes I think that she's somewhere hidden in the woods. You know, and uh, sometimes I think she fell in foul play wrong hands. Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, while suspicions turn towards someone else, one of the nation's premier mystery solvers who specializes in cold cases joins the team. Also, Sid thinks anxiety and mental strain just might be what gets the case finally solved. And this man who you uh, have been talking about, the, the, uh, in your eyes, he's the main suspect, I guess. And... <laughs> I'll just remain with unidentified person. Yeah. But has he ever spoken to you? Oh, yeah. I've talked to him quite a few times. As always, we've said that um, since I took over the case, um, Randall Richmond and his wife, ex-wife now, Anne, I would like to speak with. Um, since um, he was last spoke to, there, there have been a number of things come up, new things that um, we would like to speak with him, see what he has to say about it, uh, more questions. Um, also, I'd like him, you know, we also like to have his DNA and fingerprints to compare some, to some things we have. If you have any information as to Brandy Hall's whereabouts, please call 1-800-423-TIPS. That's 1-800-423-8477. Calls are anonymous and are not recorded. To subscribe to Florida Today, please visit floridatoday.com forward slash WMO. For now, I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to 
whereisbrandyhall.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thank you for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.